Good morning. I'm Dr. Gay Carlson, president of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, with another of my screenside chats for our ACAP members. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, screenside chats are meant to share timely clinical practice and other information from experts mostly focused on COVID-19, um, but sometimes wandering to other topics. Reminiscent of President Roosevelt's fireside chats during the Great Depression and World War II, I'm hoping that the screenside chats will fill a niche not otherwise occupied by um, materials otherwise available. Today, I'm pleased to have with us Dr. Melvin Otis. Dr. Otis is in private practice uh, in Midtown Manhattan. He's a clinical supervisor at NYU Langone Medical Center, um, or I should say Child Study Center. He's ACAP's Assembly um, Chair of Delegates, and as such, he's one of the members of my executive committee. I've asked him to chair the presidential work group uh, to promote health equity and combat racism, which are clearly a priority for, that should be a priority for our country in general, and it's certainly an important priority for us at ACAP. Co-chairing are, are, are with him on this committee are also Lisa Cullen and Tammy Benton. And together they'll oversee the numerous committees that we have at ACAP to further the cause of combating racism and, and um, evening out the healthcare inequities. So I'm gonna ask him to start off with just summarizing for us what the Diversity and Culture Committee have developed as far as an action plan to further this cause. So Melvin, could you do that for us? Yes, good morning, Gay, and good morning, ACAP family. Thank you for this time to share. So the Diversity and Culture Committee has worked on an action plan that is quite comprehensive, it's malleable, and it's a working process. And not only does it involve just a Diversity and Culture Committee, it involves uh, numerous committees throughout ACAP. And if you haven't been tapped already, stay tuned your, to your mailbox. You will be tapped soon. It has four main areas, one of awareness, one of advocacy, another of workforce and professional development, and also development of national partnerships. Under awareness, we've already started with giving uh, Rob Grant and the communications department, they put out blasts, they re recommend journal articles to our members. And we've uh, had a number of members submit articles to ACAP News, which are useful. And they talk about various experiences with COVID and sometimes very personal ones. Another area is advocacy, which we're doing along with the advocacy and the advocacy committee and the AL network co-chaired by Deb Koss and Karen Pierce. Uh, this is a very wonderful component of ACAP and it's gonna allow everyone to find out ways in which they can advocate not only for their patients individually, but also locally with their legislators. So I should at this moment uh, do a plug for Thursday, September 17th, when there's going to be a virtual advocacy training. So I, I invite you all to come to that because it's gonna be very wonderful. And that's from uh, eight to 9.30 PM on Thursday. Continuing on, workforce development uh, is, is, is very useful. Under, the, under that area, we have a number of programs that have been done. So the 
healthcare inequities forum with all of the different caucuses, the Black Caucus, the Asian Caucus, the Latinx Caucus, the International Medical Graduate Caucus, along with the Native American Child Committee and the Rural Committee talked about healthcare inequities. So you can find that on our ACAP webpage. And finally, there's an area in terms of national partnerships that's gonna stay in terms of development. So that's a work in, in progress. With this, there's a summer lecture series as well where the training committee uh, has is going to present. The schools committee has already uh, done a, a recording so that you can look at how can we even the playing field during this COVID uh, pandemic and also the religion and spirituality committee will also be presenting as well. So all of these things are going to be resources that are available on the ACAP website. So that's really a, um, a huge undertaking. Um, it, it, and it's really impressive. I please realize you, you heard Melvin say you will be tapped. This is a lot to orchestrate, but we've we've really got some wonderful people in each of the committees who are going to be helping this initiative. Talk to me about something that's um, near and dear to my heart as as president, but also I think is something that others of us out there, whether we're in a um, uh, another medical center or whether we're in a clinic setting. Uh, how do we go about finding leaders of color to help that equity situation? I mean, you, 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 when we have something that we want to do, we want to try to be diverse. And it's not always easy. We end up tapping the same people. And so we need to grow more people. How do we do that? Okay. Well, we started this, uh, as you say, the EC started this with a, a conversation. So ACAP is, is committed to this and having conversations at, at every level. And part of that is uh, in terms of really developing and finding uh, leaders of color and, and really diversifying our workforce is looking at our longstanding implicit bias. And that's one thing for us all to manage. And so we really have to look for opportunities where we can create discussions about why is the workforce look the way it does now, and then start to incorporate other, other viewpoints and bringing other people to the table to express why that is the problem. Then you really have to look at how do we then show an appreciation for the skill set that a diverse population brings to the table? Because if people don't feel welcome, they're not going to share their skill set and they're not they're not going to be open with their communication. So we really want to to hear a number of people, but we also have to be weary and or not weary, but aware that we want to tap into that and that your your opinion does matter. I, I like to think of us maybe being baseball player scouts. I mean, you can tell I'm a great athlete here. I don't think they call themselves baseball player scouts, but you know, they, they go to the high school and, and they look and see who's out there playing ball uh, or colleges and see who's playing ball. They probably talk around, you know, you know, any promising kids out there on the sandlot. Um, certainly this effort starts with getting people into medical school, getting people into training. I mean, you, you, you need to, you need to start growing people right from the get go, but we have some good people in our membership. What do you suggest Melvin? I mean, be, be practical here. Do we, do we, um, do we go around and, and kibitz 
on the committees? Do we send out a blast and say, please don't be shy. You don't have to be in a committee to call and, and you know, be a part of that initiative. G give me some, you're, you're talking to me now that, that has to do these things. What do I do? Okay. Well, I say there are a couple things. First off is recognizing ambition in, uh, in people. Uh, typically, a, a lot of ways in which ambition is expressed in the West is like the me, 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 me-centric kind of way, and there are people that do that. But I will say in other, other uh, populations, the Asian uh, uh, culture, the Latinx culture, and some in the Black culture as well, it's far more communal. There's a more a communal experience in terms of what was needed for survival. So oftentimes you may not have that person that steps up. So just as you said, kibitzing and asking people and le letting people know that it is a priority and it's there's an awareness. So you have to create an awareness and allow people to know that it's there. And as I said before, we have to manage our sort of... Um, the biases that we have. Um, these things are very important for us, for people to actually want to, want to communicate. And so there are people that are there, recognize them, let them know that this is a, this is, this is a priority like you're doing today, like you've done many other times and out sending out newsletters and talking about racism and, and talking about what's happening in the world, much like the things that we have to parallel with our, our patients, you're doing with the ACAP family sort of letting them know that here's an opportunity in the midst of everything that's going on. Well, I, th I think it's a, it, it needs to be an active, I, I agree with you that it needs to, it needs to be a culture. It needs to be something where, um, yeah, pe people say, yeah, this is my home. I'm, I'm, I'm welcome here. Um, but I think we also have to be a little bit more proactive and, um, that's the piece. And you know what's frustrating, darn it, is the stupid virus. I mean, one of the things that I had really looked forward to doing as president is traveling around and, and meeting the um, people in various row caps, giving talks. And I can give talks on screen and so forth, but it's not the same as, as being there, being among them. And that, that allows us an opportunity of, of seeing who's there and, and you know, in, and, um, maybe calling on people that might not otherwise have raised their hands. So I don't know what, I, I, I think it's gonna just be extra challenging for the moment where, where we can't have that face-to-face -face thing. I agree with that, Jay. And, I, and just as you said, like next year, hoping that we can actually go to Atlanta, there are a number of, of uh, historically black colleges and universities there that are quite diverse. Uh, there are student national medical association that are diverse as well. These are areas in where you have a, a number of people of various cultures and race and, and race uh, that may be the future or are the future uh, candidates in the leadership positions. And they have to know that they're welcome and really show you the steps to do that. So we, we are very quick to sort of validate a number of other institutions in different places. So we have to be mindful that we validate everyone in the other institutions that want to enter medicine and that they too have some talent to bring to the field. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, Kind of good time. I mean, it wasn't planned, obviously, five years ago being in Atlanta next year, but that does seem a bit serendipitous, doesn't it? It does. So the other prong of the um, of the diversity and culture initiative is also the healthcare inequity part. Um, if you ran the world, Melvin, what a what an amazing thought, right? If you ran the world, 
what would you do to help us level the playing field with the health care inequity piece? Um, maybe I shouldn't say if you ran the world because clearly you don't, but what can you, what can what can you help us with as individual practitioners so that everybody at least has a little piece that they can do? Um, you know, the, the expression about many hands make lighter work. I don't, I don't know if this is work necessarily, but it's like, it isn't an over there thing that somebody has to do. It's something that, that we all need to find a way to do it. Do you have any thoughts about what things you might suggest? I love that comment. I love that comment. It's not an over there thing that someone has to do. So we start with what we've all been taught already in terms of a therapeutic alliance that we have with our patients. What does it take to build that? Start with that and expand upon it. We know that when we reach people, when we want to really connect with them, they have to be heard. They have to be seen. So when you connect with your patients so that they're not other, they're seen as a person that you will already know a member of your family, an extended member of your family, well, if you don't like your family so much, the family that you've grown and created you can choose yourself. your friends, but you can't choose your relatives. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you've created that you enjoy, enjoy, that you have an affinity for, if you have that sort of connection to your patients, then you already enhance the communication. Once you've enhanced the communication, you've built trust. And then your patients are, are, are more apt to speak with you and really communicate what it is that they're feeling, what they're thinking. So you're establishing that therapeutic relationship. You're talking about what the core and essence of therapy looks like with your patients. And then you're inviting them to share with you because you're curious about them. You really start with a, a nature of curiosity and wanting to learn. And you seek that with your patients, but you seek that with every patient, not just the ones that look like you, the ones that don't look like you, so that they're not other, it's not over there. It's right here, it's in your office, it's right now. And as you begin to build that you can start to build on working to correct the healthcare inequities. We, we were talking uh, the other day um, about the fact that people are co more comfortable with people that are like them. You know, I'm happy with a, I mean, I know there are good male OBGYN people, but I'm happy, somewhat happier with a woman OBGYN person, right? Um, and um, I, I think there are some data at this point that say that um, patients do better where they have um, a doctor or a healthcare practitioner who's of their same skin color or culture or whatever, that they've already got a leg up on the um, relationship bit because there's the assumption that well, if, if our skin color is the same, you at least have walked a little bit in my shoes. It, we've got a little something in common. So you're talking about making a relationship with your patients. You're obviously a black man. And so I'm sure that when you have patients of color come in, they probably breathe a sigh of relief when they see you. They're not going to breathe a sigh of relief when they see me. 
Well, that, okay, that, that may be one way, but it may not be because, again, we're acculturated the same, you and I, having been born in, in America in terms of what does a physician look like? And perhaps physicians didn't look like you or I. For, for, uh, for many people, physicians were white males or, or something else, but they weren't, they weren't us. So it, it took a moment for people to understand that, they, that, they come, that physicians look like many different people and may look like them and they may not. But if we go back to not people not being other and being just just like us and trying to make that communication or connection to them we make a difference so we we are experts at being doctors we may not be expert at the culture from which the patient comes from but if we let them know that we care about that and teach us and and help me to understand for instance in this pandemic and and the racial injustice and things that are going on racism isn't new but Oftentimes people weren't talking about this with their doctors, but if you, you as a doctor, let them know, you're reading the headlines, these things are going on in the world. I, I'm curious as to how that might be affecting you and your family. Are you aware of that? Does it, does it have any impact that you're aware of? Because maybe they haven't even thought of it as, a, as it affecting their health. But you opening that door, saying that you're concerned, that you're curious, and you as the expert know that this can have a detrimental effect to their, their health and well-being, you've scored a lot of points. You've really helped the situation. You've helped in equity right there because you're looking at them like you look at other people that have been validated and that are valuable in this community. You've now done that to someone that may not feel that. You've gone a long way in approaching and, and really rectifying healthcare inequities in that, in that, in that one expression. Can you think of a way of maybe having people expand their practice a little bit? You know, I, I'm, I'm of an age that I can be retired. Um, I'm not, but I could be. And one of the things that I was thinking about since I work a lot with the schools is to say, you know, I don't have to be as concerned about whether I generate my salary or not. I would like to make available two hours a week to be available as a consultant to um, our, some of our school districts here out here in Suffolk County, where you, you read, you already know that the COVID uh, penetrance is much higher than it is in other communities. And no big surprise, those are our Hispanic communities, our, um, our African-American communities, et cetera. Does something like that make any kind of dent in the in, in leveling the playing field in terms of health care or is that is that kind of a drop in the bucket? Oh no, that's huge. Imagine if you do that and others do that, that is huge. Uh, access to health care and, and the inequity, the all of that is a problem and it, it's not new and it continues. So if you're saying someone doesn't have the access to actually speak to someone that is as well trained as you are, that has that season that can really see and, and help them. Imagine if, if, if the, the, the 9,000 of us are, you know, as, as members and maybe 8,000 are practicing, if everyone could donate an hour or two in, in different communities, what a difference that would make in terms of healthcare and equity. Or even if you're not donating the time, if you took your, your money and you placed it in areas where there are people that are working in those areas to help patients, that would also go a long way. So time and money in terms of your efforts is, is very valuable and does make a difference. It's not a drop in the bucket at all. 
I love that idea. Talk to me about advocacy. Um, I know uh, you've been spending time with the uh, advocacy committee and um, the training session that they're going to be doing in a couple of nights is a uh, couple of evenings is going to be sort of, I call it advocacy 101. Tell me what you're hoping to accomplish on the advocacy front. I, I'm, I'm really hoping that people are understanding that there are systems that are in place within ACAP in terms of a committee and a network that have you think about the ideas in a different way, a little broader. How do you really cap, capitalize, codify that and make it something that you can use and, and exert influence? In this instance, beyond just your clinical practice, how do you reach the legislator and let them know that these inequities exist and why the what's out there already doesn't work so how do you do that on a local a local level for yourself how do you do it on a state level and hopefully on the national level all of these things will be encapsulated in that training and it's 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 going to be active there's going to be active learning so not only are you going to have someone lecturing and talking about that you're going to know how to find your your senator your your house of representative person in your local local region and how to tap into them and, 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 and actually educate them on what the issues are in a way that they may not have heard beyond the headlines. They have a person, they have a one-to-one -one story to hear. That moves people, that moves laws, that makes a change in what we do. So it's about education there. Um, the, the lecture series, I know that uh, I think it was Lisa was working on. What, uh, what, were, what were the hopes as far as that that's concerned with the, the there is some specific topics i guess that were covered for that do you do you know remember off the top of your head what the issues were about why those particular lectures were selected yes they address the inequities but when i what i, I want to have everyone tune into this if you're if you're addressing inequities in in certain populations you're also finding tools to help all of your patients all of your patients can benefit from having a doctor, but sometimes there are things that are specific about certain populations that we may have overlooked, or you, you're, you're, you're just not aware of it. So in some of these lecture series, that's highlighted along with all of the other things that you're already doing. So that's what's useful. For like, so let's think about the schools committee. Right now there's how do you send your kids back to school safely? And in certain areas where they're not gonna open the schools, maybe not the public schools, the private schools might be open. So there you're advancing an inequity wasn't an intended consequence, but it's an unintended consequence when you're not opening. So how do you make education equitable for all? So that's some of, the, some of the ways in which you're starting to think about this. If your kid doesn't go to a private school, they're in a public school, what do you need to do? Or how do you have uh, the, the doctor help the family advocate for their kid on a local level to their school board in order to make a difference. So that's one way. And in the systems of care, it's like how do we how do we advance the system of care to include everyone so that the systems work in a more equitable way. And and as I'm thinking about this, you and I have had a conversation about when we're talking about diversity and equity and these things of, of how that sounds to certain people, like certain groups may view that as a very moral, wonderful thing to do. And other groups may feel that, that you're favoring one group. 
And so I really invite people to understand that when we're talking about equity and we're talking about these things is that other groups might require more because of systemic racism and things that are that have been under play, uh, under play for a very long time. And so we're beginning to highlight these things, examine and talk about them in a more open way. So that's one of the reasons why the lecture series, the summer lecture series is there. You know, I think, and this is sort of a closing remark, and it's kind of a personal one, but I think what I have found more than anything is how much thoughtlessness there has been behind racism. And by thoughtlessness, I don't just mean you didn't open a door for me, thoughtlessness. <laughs> I mean that um, I, I think I think many people are good people. If they had thought about it, they wouldn't have made a certain decision or they wouldn't have drawn a particular conclusion or they wouldn't have said a particular thing. Um, it just, you just don't think about it. And so the thinking about it is important. The relationship piece is important because if, I mean, you, you and I have worked together pretty closely. Um, if you say to me something like, you know, Gay, you, you could have put that a little bit better. Um, I'm much less likely to take umbrage from you because I know you, I know you care. I know we share many similar values. I, I'm going to take that a little bit differently than somebody who I don't know who, you know, might really be trying to be hurtful and nasty. So we do have the, um, I, I do agree with you about how important the relationship piece is, but then we also have to take risks in terms of making relationships with people and being honest and being able to step back and say, I didn't mean to be thoughtless. I, I really depend on you to educate me in these things. And then maybe we both learn something from that experience. Does that make sense? It does. You're in my head right now because you're reminding me to talk about the, the resources that we have at ACAP. There's a whole resource page on our homepage about racism where you can look at that because it's not enough to, for us not to be racist. We have to be an anti-racist and, and there are resources there such as the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, Me and White Supremacy, uh, So You Want to Talk About Race. These are all titles of books that are quite great that help to introduce the topic in a way that might help us to see our own uh, blind spots in, ter in terms of that. So you're, you're absolutely right in terms of, of, uh, of being able to think about this in another way and have a framework. So those references really help. Well, that's a good note to end on because you're plugging us and there are good resources there that a lot of good people have worked on. Um, so I think that on that note, this is obviously a process and we're just beginning the journey and it will take a number of different roads. And I'm hoping that, well, honestly, I didn't think screenside chats would be going this long, but I guess we'll go as long as we have COVID. We'll maybe do a follow-up conversation in six months or so and see how the initiative is progressing. So thank you very much, Melvin, for being with us today. Thank you very much for your leadership. I'm looking forward to the um, Advocacy 101 
um, initiative on Thursday evening and the lecture series in general. And so thank you all to our viewers for paying attention. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you all very much for tuning in. This is Gay Carlson for ACAP's Screenside Chats.